Today we're going to take a look at the basics of prayer, and to do that we're going to turn to James chapter 5, the scriptures I read to you before. I want to just share with you three prayer principles this morning, and the very first one of these is simply this, prayer is the proper response to every event in life. Pretty simple, isn't it? Prayer is the proper response to every event in life. In your scriptures, if you've got your Bibles open to James 5, verse 13, it says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anybody happy? He should sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders to come and to pray. I'm not going to ask you whether you are a consistent, constant prayer. But one thing I do know about all of us is we fall into this tendency to only pray in what I might call panic situations. For example, maybe you've heard this story. There was a guy working up on a roof. He lost his balance and began sliding down the roof. And he grabbed at a shingle, but the shingle broke off in his hand, and so he continued sliding. And, and just as he was ready to go over the edge of the roof, he shouted out in desperation, Lord, help me. And suddenly he felt something grab the cuff of his pants, and there as he dangled on the edge of the roof, he looked up to see what had happened, and he saw something, and he said, Never mind, Lord, I got caught on the nail. I don't need your help after all. See, that's the problem with a crisis-driven prayer life. When the crisis goes away, so does our prayer life. So does our motivation to pray. James here makes the point that prayer should be, the part, should be a part of every detail of our life. Are you happy today, folks? Give thanks to God. If you're sad today, pray to God. If you're troubled today, you got problems today, pray to God. If you're not feeling so good today, pray to God. You need to make your concerns and your joys available to God. Now, as you turn elsewhere in the Bible, Peter and Paul say essentially the same thing. I think I put some of those passages on your message outline for you. Philippians chapter 6, this is from the Living Bible. It says, don't worry about anything. I could stop right there and ask you, how many of you are worriers? What did God just tell you? <laughs> don't. Huh? Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Let him have all your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you. 1 Thessalonians, always keep on praying. I think in the old King James it says, pray without ceasing. And as a little kid I used to wonder, what? How does a person do that? You walk around all day and like that? No, it is to be in a constant communion with God, that God is just part of your every fabric and being. You're praying without ceasing. And all things... There's a prayer, little arrow prayers up to heaven. Sometimes you do fold your hands. Sometimes you do bow your head. Sometimes you are quiet. Sometimes, you know, one of the simplest prayers in the whole Bible, I think, it's not really recorded this way, but remember when Jonah got swallowed by the big fish? I bet his prayer went this way. Help! That's a pretty simple prayer. But it's praying nonetheless. Ephesians 6.18, pray all the time. Ask God for anything in line with the Spirit's wishes. That tells you that the Holy Spirit's going to guide what you pray about. Plead with Him. That's hands and knees begging, pleading with God, reminding Him of your needs. Now you probably say, why do I need to remind God of, 
of my needs. Doesn't he know them? Yes, he does, but he likes to know that you know what they are too. Keep on praying earnestly for all Christians everywhere. I think about Christians I know that are scattered around this world, and by the way, in the next months, you're going to get to meet some of them. In the month of September, you're going to get to meet a man by the name of Anand Thandu, who runs Children of Faith Ministries in Vishakapatnam, India. Try to spell that one. You need to be praying for Anand and the work he does. Shortly after that, you're going to get to meet Jameson and Mary Titus, people from Christ on the Rock Church in India, also from Vishakapatnam. We need to pray for these people who are out on the front lines in countries where you know, 95, 96% of the people are non-Christian. A little bit later, we're going to have Pastor P.J. Hanek from Hyderabad in India here in our church sharing with us. Those are just minor examples of the Christians around this world that we need to pray for. We need to pray for our men and women in the armed forces that are scattered all over this globe who are out there doing things for us today you know, to preserve freedom not only in other places but to preserve our freedom here. Pray earnestly for Christians everywhere, for your moms and dads and your brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, even though they live in other places and even though they may actually go to other churches that aren't Missouri Synod Lutheran. Pray for those people too. There is nothing you cannot pray about. But I'm going to have to tell you, I one time heard a pastor scold his congregation about what he called frivolous prayer. He told him it was really pretty silly to pray for things like a parking space at the mall or to pray for a toothache or you know, stuff you couldn't find around the house. He said that that kind of trivialized prayer and keeps us from ta keep taking prayer seriously. But you know, I don't know what Bible he was reading from because my Bible says something completely different. The Bible says we are to pray for everything that we are to pray about everything. Now, I, I don't even begin to understand how, uh, how a pastor could ever discourage someone from praying. You know, people say, well, pastor, I don't know what words to use. They're going to sound funny. That's okay, pray. I'm not here to judge your English. I'm not your English teacher. I'm not giving you an A plus or a B minus on whatever. You just pray. Say whatever comes to mind. Don't even worry if you stumble about it. I mean, that's why... Isn't it great that the Bible says the Holy Spirit sits up in heaven and takes all of our grunts and groans and translates them? Man, I can grunt and groan sometimes when I pray. I'm just thankful the Holy Spirit said, man, he doesn't know what he's talking about, Father. This is what he's trying to say. And, and the great thing is to know that Jesus stands on the other side and says, oh, yeah, and by the way, he's one of ours. Isn't that wonderful? We've got an advocate in heaven. We've got a, we've got a translator in heaven for all of our prayers. I mean, everything about you is important to God, and the Bible says you need to learn to pray about anything and everything. Okay, here's the second point. Prayer is a group effort. Prayer is a group effort. Now, I appreciate the fact that some people always dump the prayers off on the pastor's desk. I mean, that's part of my job. I mean, I love to pray for people. I love to pray with people, but don't stop there. We all need to be praying about it. Now, I'm not talking about having gossip chains where we all call one after another and say, you know, have you heard about Ted Thamer? We need to pray for him. And they go, really, what happened to Ted? Oh, Ted this and then blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'll be sure to tell someone else. And we'll pass it up. We pass it on down what? It's no longer the prayer chain, is it? It's the gossip line. And the next thing you know, Ted is divorced and run off, you know, to Tahiti or someplace. I guess it's not so strange that one of my seminary professors one time told me that if your church has prayer chains, get a bolt cutter out. 
He said, sometimes you're going to snip those babies because we spend way too much time sanctifying gossip. Let me say that again, folks. Knock off the sanctified gossip. I'm speaking to you now as your pastor. Knock off the sanctified gossip. Don't tell people you're going to pray for them and you just blab to everybody else down the line. Somebody calls you and says, we need to pray about Nancy. You pray for them on the telephone right then and there. It's a group effort. We need to pray and not yap so much. Jesus says, or James says, the effective prayer requires involvement in many people. That's why he tells us that believers ought to call upon the leadership. I mean, that's first of all. Call upon your leadership. You need to do that. Call your pastors. Call your elders. There's nothing wrong with calling and saying, could all the elders come to my house and pray? And I think that's something we need to think about doing, guys. And it's fine that I go and I pray. It's fine if I take Dennis along and we pray. But I don't think there's anything wrong for you calling and saying, look, would you mind coming to our house? Could the elders come and pray over us? Lay hands on us. Anoint us with oil. Just the way the Bible talks about and pray. This is a group effort. It's not dependent upon one man or one group of people. He also tells us that we need to pray for each other. I mean, we have a long list of, uh, of names in the back of our worship folder. What do you do with those besides look at them and are stunned by the number? Do you pray for them one at a time? Have you thought about taking your directory and starting in the A's, um, whatever the first letter is, that's the first letter in the alphabet, I don't know who the first name is, all the way to Z, and just pray for a few of them every day. And on top of that, to pray with each other. doesn't make any difference who you're with, but just say, we can pray about this. He also tells us that when we're together, we should learn to confess our sins one to another. Isn't that interesting that Jesus would make that connection? He, he says that you, know, that you ought to confess your sins that you might be healed. I mean, is it possible that some of us sometimes have this continuing nagging problem in our life because of unconfessed sin? Yeah? <laughs> you think? I think so. You know, that's one of the most difficult parts of this whole deal. But it's most necessary. Prayer is, is a personal part of our lives. And, and sometimes there are things that we want to pray about that we don't feel comfortable praying about out in the open. But we find somebody to pray with. Now, I know that last Sunday, Nancy and I greeted people at the door. We're going to try to do that once a month just to, you know, put a few people together. To, oh, oh, yeah, he's married to that person. Okay, now we understand. But I also feel it's very important for me to be up here after the service to pray with people and for people and to talk to people who have some personal issues that they don't necessarily want to put on the First Lutheran gossip line. No, we already trampled that one, didn't we? Okay, we already got that one. And I want to invite you today to do that and feel free to come up to any of the elders. I mean, that's what the elders are for. You don't need to run down there. Go grab Bobby Swink. Say, Bobby, pray for me. Yeah, he's going to do that. You see Newt Arnold, say, Newt, I need to have somebody pray for me. You see Dennis, pray for me. Can the other elders come around? John, can you pray for me? Tommy, can you pray for me? That's what we're here for. But you ought to feel comfortable doing that with anybody and everybody in this church. That when church is over today, just to grab the hands of a couple of people around you and just say, can we pray about something today? See, the more we can be open and honest with each other, about our weaknesses, the more power of God I think that we can experience. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, if two of you agree about anything uh, that you ask for, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Two or three people grab hands at the end of the service. Guess what? Jesus is right there with them. 
Uh, Richard Foster uh, wrote a book. It's called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. And, and I, I love this book. In fact, I would commend that book to all of you if you can get a copy to read it. It's uh, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. It, it's a really powerful book. You know, most of the book, I'm going to tell you, focuses on private, solitary moments of prayer. It, it, it's going to teach you about the prayers of meditation and covenant prayers and contemplative prayer. But then there is a chapter that is going to maybe, maybe will bowl you over because I sometimes think as Lutherans we don't think so much about the healing power of prayer. And in healing prayer, he kind of goes in an altogether different direction. And in this chapter, he emphasizes the power of group prayer. And if you read the book, he's going to tell you a story. He tells a story about a student of his. And his student was in a serious accident. And as this young lady lay in a hospital in critical condition, Richard Foster commissioned the other students to pray for her healing. And not just to pray for her healing, but he said, let's pray for a specific physical result. He said, we are going to pray that the injured capillaries in her brain would begin to heal and the swelling in her brain would go down. And that group of faith-filled students prayed all night long, and the longer they prayed, the more that young lady's condition improved. Now, this happens, Foster says, because a group of believers prayed. I think that's why James, again, in verse 14, says, call the elders. A lot of people ought to be praying about these things. Now, I don't know what your life has been like, but I, I would guess that many of you have witnessed occasions when this has happened, when a bunch of people have been praying about something, and boom, there's a miracle that took place. Let me tell you about one of my most embarrassing times with this. I was in Russia about 15 years ago. We were part of a group, first group to be invited into the Soviet Union to teach pastors, and we were way outside of Moscow, knee-deep snow, and as we were getting ready to come uh, to get this group going, we found out that a bus outside was stuck in the deep snow, and they asked whether we could come out and help push this bus out of the snow. Now, we went out, and there were about five or six or seven of us American pastors and five or six or seven Russian pastors, and we had this big, like, school bus stuck in the snow. Well, you know what we did as Americans? We all walked around the bus and Oh, man, that thing is really in there deep. I wonder if they got AAA anywhere here in Moscow. And we were looking for this thing, and, man, well, this is going to be, I wonder if they got a tractor or a chain or something. And then we kind of stood back, and somebody said, where'd the Russian guys go? And we heard them. We walked around to the other side of the bus, and they were there. They were praying like crazy. They're praying that the Lord would give them strength and power in the bus and everything else like this. And then with one great big heave, they, stood and they pushed this bus up out of the ruts onto the ground. Well, you know what the Americans did? We went and we measured how deep the ruts were. And we kind of went, wow, that's really a neat deal. And then suddenly somebody said, where are the Russians? They were on the other side of the bus again, thanking God for what had happened. That was a vivid reminder to me that we need to pray and pray expectantly. I can't begin to tell you how many times on the mission field somebody came up to me and asked me to pray for something, and I was dumbfounded by it and wasn't quite sure what to do. I mean, what do you do when somebody comes up to you 
and you say to them, what would you want me to pray for? And they said, this man is deaf, he can't hear. What are you going to pray for? You're going to pray that he learns sign language? You're going to pray that he just comes to peace with that situation? Why not pray that his, he, his hearing be restored? Why not pray expectantly? Why not get a bunch of people together and lay hands on that person, anoint that person with oil, and pray to Jehovah Rapha, the God who, at least my Bible says, heals all diseases? It just seems to me that miraculous things happen when people pray. That's why the Bible, that's what the Bible teaches, that, you know, to get together, to confess our sins to one another and pray so that we might be healed. And I'm not talking about just necessarily healed physically, but maybe healed socially or healed spiritually. We can be, all of us are damaged in some way or another. Now, I know it's kind of a cliche to say that there's strength in numbers, but it's true, friends. The extent that we are able to make ourselves transparent with other people, we begin to experience God's power in our lives. I mean, that's why we need to be involved in small group Bible studies. That's why we need to be in youth groups that pray. That's why we need to be in Sunday school classes. That's why we need to have Christian friends who will gather around us at a time and will pray for us. We need accountability and we need support. Last night, Nancy and I returned a phone call. It's from one of uh, the elders at our former church. Kind of interesting because it's an older couple, and uh, uh, the Olson family. And John is kind of funny. John's an old farmer. He says, "Well, we're just checking up on you, me and Shirley, and we want to know." He says, "Sometimes people's lives are going okay, and so sometimes we just take them off our prayer list, and we were just called to see whether." So we said, we better get on the, ho on the blower here. So I don't know, we talked to John and Shirley last night, probably for about an hour, and I know one of the first things that came out of Nancy's mouth is, don't take us off your list. Keep on praying for us. You know, you need people like that who will pray for you all the time and that you know are praying for you. You know, one of the things that I've done on several occasions since I've been here is I've walked through this place in the middle of the week and I have prayed over every last single pew. And I walk down each one. I, I know that some of you take up more room in a pew than others, and some of you take up less. It doesn't make a difference to me how many people. But, you know, I walk down that pew. Every place that's in here has been prayed over. The chairs have been prayed over in the balcony. I've walked through the fellowship hall where we have Bible class. I just prayed over the chairs. You know, you all need to think about doing the same thing from time to time. Well, here's the third point. And that's that prayer makes a difference. And hopefully you've already figured that out. Verse 15 says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And that's a pretty bold statement. And some of you are probably already thinking, Hold it. Then why don't people get healed every time? Now, I'm going to give you three bad answers to that question. I mean, why don't people get healed every time you pray? Here's three bad answers. Bad answer number one, it must not be God's will. Really? Here's bad answer number two. The person didn't have enough faith. What? How do you know that? Bad answer number three, God doesn't heal people anymore. <laughs> you ever want to smote somebody with your Bible? Uh, you know, those are bad answers. The Bible disputes every one of those, but that does not prevent people 
from using them in a pinch. I mean, I've heard people say to people at a funeral, it was God's will that they die. Whoa, really? My Bible says God's will that we all live. I mean, can God use the death of someone? Sure he can. You know, I think this comes because we as Americans have this need to compartmentalize. We tend to do that in the area of religion. We like formulas and we like guarantees and we like instant results. And if I pray this prayer and this prayer and this prayer, then God's got to do this for me. We want to be able to explain the mysteries of the universe in a few short phrases. And when it comes to prayer, many of us, if the truth were told, we want to tell God exactly what he's supposed to do and when he's supposed to do it and how he's supposed to do it. And if he doesn't do what we tell him to do, then, you know, what do we care about him anymore? We kind of picture God as being some sort of a giant vending machine up, up in heaven that we kind of plop in a few quarters of worship and giving and Bible study and pull the lever and God will just give us whatever we want. It doesn't work that way. You know, prayer is not a, a work order for God. You know, God is not our high-priced little flunky boy. He's not our errand boy up in heaven. You know, when the, while the Bible makes bold promises regarding prayer, don't give in to the temptation that somehow God releases control to his people. It doesn't happen that way. Verse 16 the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And he uses Elijah as an example. He said, Elijah prayed one time that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. Then he prayed that it would rain. Guess what? It rained. Now, the point James is making is that when a good person prays, a person who's committed to the Lord and doing God's will and giving God glory in, in, in all aspects of his or her life, then God is inclined to move in answer to that prayer. At least that's how I understand that passage. Let me give you an example. Nancy and I love our kids. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We love Eric and Terry, and we also, by you know, marriage and, and birth, we, we love our daughter-in-law, Cheryl. We love our grandson, Josh. And I think, by and large, for most of our life, we have wanted to have good things for them, good things that we could give them. Now, does that mean that we gave them everything they ever asked for? <laughs> not, on your li- not on your life. And that's what, because some of the things that they may have asked for over the years weren't particularly good for them. Uh, there are some things that they asked for that were good for them, but it wasn't the right time. And when your kid comes up and he's eight and asks for a brand new Thunderbird, it's not the right time. I mean, some of the things that they asked for were good, but in the grand scheme of things, it just wasn't best. So even though we might have been inclined to give our kids the very best things, we didn't do it. We just loved them too much to give them everything they asked for. Still, they need to ask us. Because if they don't ask, how are we supposed to know? James says in chapter 4, you don't have it. Why? You don't ask for it. I still remember asking a guy one time, have you prayed to God about this? And he said, oh my gosh, Pastor, has it come to that? No, it shouldn't have come to that. That's where you should have started. You don't have it. You haven't even bothered to ask God about it. See, our relationship with God is a lot like our relationship with our our human parents, our Father. When we pray, God wants to give us whatever we ask for. You know that God wants to give it to you. But some of the things that you ask for are simply not good for you. And he's never going to give those things to you. Some of the things you ask for are good, but God in his infinite wisdom knows that you are not ready for those things yet. So he's going to wait until you mature and you are ready. 
And some of the things that you may ask for may be very good, but they don't fit into God's big picture. See, when God looks at your life, God is looking from the other side of eternity. Some days, you know, you're going to have a picnic and you pray for sunshine, but it rains. Maybe that's because God wants our picnics to be good, but he'd also like to have our ranches and our farms covered a little moisture. Sometimes we pray for a person to be healed and it doesn't happen. That doesn't mean God has bailed out on us. It just means that he sees life a little bit differently. He sees it from the other side of eternity. You know, we tend to grab onto this life and hang on to it like this is all there is. In fact, isn't that what the beer commercial says? You know, grab all the gusto you can. You only go around once in life. But, friends, I can tell you, every last person who's ever died in Jesus will tell you that they would not consider death to be a tragedy. They would consider it to be a joyous celebration to be with their Savior, Jesus Christ. See, when we pray for someone to be healed and they're not, we need to remember that they've been given a wonderful gift. They've been given a chance to to leave the cares and the pressures of this world behind and to enter into unending and unspeakable joy. So sometimes we pray and things don't work out exactly as we'd like them to, but they work out best. I said in my Bible class this morning, you know, not everything do we see through the, through the windshield of our life. A lot of things we experience by looking into the rearview mirror, and we see that God has worked good out of these bad times. But friends, just because prayer doesn't give us the power to control God doesn't mean that we shouldn't bother to pray. In fact, we can pray to God with absolute, complete confidence. We can ask him for anything we want, with the absolute assurance that he will give us whatever he feels is best for us. Now, I can't believe I'm about to quote Garth Brooks in a sermon, but I am. This song comes pretty close to expressing this. In fact, I've even linked the uh, video to this, to the sermon for this next week, if you want to watch it. It's a song called Unanswered Prayers. Some of you know Garth Brooks, you know the song. It's about how he and his wife went to a high school football game and he happened to see his old high school sweetheart, the high school sweetheart that he had prayed for all the time that God would somehow bring her into his life. But he suddenly realizes, nah, that wasn't the one for him. This is the way the chorus goes. It says, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Friends, when we pray, we know that he will not give us anything that is not good for us. And what's more, we have the assurance that he will give us every good thing that we ask for. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So you know what prayer comes down to? Prayer is really nothing more than depending on God. Depending on God. When you make every detail of your life a matter of prayer, you're learning to depend on him, lean on him. When you share your prayer life with other people, make your needs known to other people, fellow believers, allow yourself to be held accountable 
to spiritual leaders, you learn to depend on God. And when you ask him for miracles, guess what? You're really depending on God. When you pray for a miracle and things go your way, you see God's hand in it. When you pray for a miracle and things don't go your way, you experience God's wonderful grace that in spite of the circumstances that may appear to be going against you, that God is still able to make every situation work out for his glory and for your good. And that, I would suggest to you, is the impact of prayer. There are lots of things to pray about, friends, more than we can even come up with on a page. I know that just as I stand in front and I look around this church, I see different people that I know need our prayers. And they're people that you know by name and some people you don't know by name. I wish we could just stand and pray over every one of you individually today. But every, every one of you can do that. And I want to encourage you to do that. In a week or so, I'm going to hand out some cards here in church. And they're going to have on every card a name of a family in this church. And we're going to make them available after the services. And we're just going to ask you to take two or three. And no fair taking them and say, oh, I can't pray for that person. No trading. If you have a problem praying for somebody, you've got a problem. And we're just going to encourage you for the next year or so just to pray for these people and give you some other ways of thinking about doing it. As we close today in our prayers, um, we think about, you know, if they were having a, um, a dinner right after church for Jack Perry, I know we need to continue to pray for him. Uh, we had some other people whose neighbors were uh, uh, murdered over the weekend, and we know the trauma that those families go through. Uh, we have people that are suffering from different forms of cancer, people who are just you know, still recovering from surgery, people who are lonely, people who are, you know, you know, they've got family relationships that are damaged and, and all kinds of things. At the same time, rather than always dwell, too, on everything that's bad, let's remember all the good stuff. And don't fail to remember the good stuff. Muriel, grandma, huh? new granddaughter. Dennis and Gwen, 35 years of marriage. Thank God for that. Anybody got a birthday this week? There you go. Happy birthday. That's a great thing. Another day to live and rejoice in God's kingdom. John. Oh, the gunslingers won last night. There you go. <laughs> yeah, praise God for that, too. Yeah. Did the Cowboys win? No, I don't know. <laughs> well, praise God for that, too. Got to keep them humble, huh? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, We are your family, family called First Lutheran Church. But we're not a family of faith, really. We are the body of Christ. And because we are the body of Christ, we need to know that when one part rejoices, we all need to rejoice. We need to give thanks, whether it be for birthdays or anniversaries or births or new grandchildren or like Nancy and I to be able to, you know, to close in a house that our daughter and grandson can live in. You know, whatever that joy may be, just safe travel to and from visiting people. The joy of seeing our children's faces light up. We also see the downside of life. and We know people that are in nursing homes and 
retirement centers, memory care units that can experience a touch of loneliness. We know people that just don't feel very good. We know people who've suffered uh, broken legs and broken arms, people whose lives are just fractured because of broken relationships, people spiritually who feel beaten up by life, by circumstances. And Lord, when that happens, we all, because we're part of the body, need to feel that pain and sorrow too. That's why you call upon us to pray, prayers of praise and thanksgiving, but prayers of comfort and healing. Lord, I just pray that you place your hand on these people that are gathered here today. Each and every one of us, Father, has a need that needs to be ministered to. We know and we trust that you can meet that need directly. You could just snap your fingers and things would straighten out in lives. People would be instantaneously healed. And if that's your design, if that's your desire, Lord, I just pray, let it happen. Let it happen. But if part of your design is that we enter into people's lives to love on them, to care for them, to hold their hand, to give them a hug, to encourage them on life's journey, Lord, make that happen as well. Don't let us get compartmentalized where we have our own little group of people, our own little clique, and, and only worry about a small fraction of the body. We can't do that any more than a foot says that it's going to go one direction and the body the other way. Lord, you've called us to be together in prayer. We know that we are to pray for anything and everything. We know that there's strength in groups, and we also know that it works. So, Father, we just pray that you'll make us a praying church, that this will be a house of prayer, a house of prayer for the nations. Lord, we lift this petition before you, and we gather together even in that wonderful prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.